Well, it's interesting that uh, praying and thinking about the new year, that kind of theme can resonate, you know, new year, new hope. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes I'm like, okay, it's a new year. I'm going to get things right this year. I'm going to put, you know, make sure my diet's on, you know, in, in the right order. So I'm eating all, cutting out all the sugar I just ate over, over Christmas. Come on, church. I'm not the only one, right, who stuffed their faces over Christmas. You know, and now you're like, oh, I don't feel so good. I, I'm sleeping too much, and I, I don't have as much energy. I'm feeling sluggish. Okay, got to get that in order. Maybe I'll exercise, right? Maybe those of you who maybe like to walk or maybe you like to move around more, maybe you put on an exercise video or something. You're like, okay, maybe I'll exercise more. You start thinking that things could be better in some way. And I want to warn against that today a little bit. And it's not to say that we as Christians cannot be people who look to achieve things and and who have hope and look to better ourselves. I think that is part of the Christian life. That's part of being sanctified, which is to be holy and to be set apart, to become more and more like Jesus. That's a good thing. But I think sometimes when we look so forward to change, we actually get our eyes off of Jesus and contentment starts to wane and we start to think that there's always something better. And we aren't grateful for the things that we have around us. Anyone ever guilty or feel guilty about that? Like that, that you look and you, and you say, oh, I wish this situation was better or I wish that situation was better. And even when you make your best efforts to change those things, and, and, and you're like, oh, I'm, I, I did it for several weeks, you know, these New Year's resolutions. Oh, I did it for several, and I don't see the change that I want. And then disappointment kicks in, and then we start beating ourselves up. And I want to warn against that, because as we look in the book of Proverbs, we're getting back into the book of Proverbs, we're going to see how this can actually be very damaging when it comes to relationships especially, And throughout the book of Proverbs, we're going to see how, um, and I've said this before, there's this picture of a seducing woman. And throughout the scriptures, we can take this literal, I believe we can take this literal, that sometimes men be very careful that there are images in the world that try to seduce us. Women will try to seduce you to leave your wife for something better. Young men, you'll be seduced maybe into a life where you are hoping for some kind of relationship that takes you away from what God really has for you. These are the dangers of real life. That's why one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not commit adultery. That's why Jesus himself said, even if you look with lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. These are serious concerns that the book of Proverbs is going to bring up today. And I want to make, not to make light of those things. Actually, one time um, uh, we had a church sign, or, the, or there was a church sign. Uh, it wasn't actually our church sign. It was the Pentecostal church's church sign. And a guy came to our church from that church, and, he, and I said, well, why'd you leave that church? He said, well, I didn't really have much to do there. All they asked me to do is change the church sign. I said, oh, really? Why didn't you do that job? He says, well, I just wanted to put, thou shall not commit adultery on the sign. And the pastor said that wasn't what he wanted on the sign. And he, and he thought it was 
uh, an appropriate message to put on the sign. And in reality, we like to put these little slogans, you know, like to that, and make people feel invited. And, and sometimes saying something like, Do, don't commit adultery. It's the simplicity of the Bible. Just don't do it. That's not catchy enough or entertaining enough to draw people into church. But the reality is, as we read the scripture here, it's important. There's some basic truths, like in the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus tries to tell us to say, hey, watch out, people. Your hearts are going to be persuaded by other people to leave something good for what you might think is something better, and it's not always better. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. Now, I do want to warn you, there are cases that Jesus also gives where you can leave. So if you're someone who feels trapped and you're like, well, what are those? We can talk about those. I'd rather have a personal conversation about those. But today's message, we're going to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 5, and it deals with this idea of being seduced out of your marriage. But I also want to tell you that when uh, theologians have read passages like this, and this actually, this um, passage, you'll see parallels to the book of Song of Solomon. And when we've read these passages that have to do with romance or relationship or marriage, theologians have said, well, this actually parallels the relationship between Christ and the church. Because in the book of Revelation, Christ calls the church his bride. And in throughout the Old Testament, God would rebuke through the prophets, rebuke the nation of Israel and say, you've committed adultery against me. How do you commit adultery against someone unless you're, in, you're not in a relationship with them, a marriage relationship? And so God sees himself married to Israel, married to the church, and yet God says, hey, listen, you church or you Israel, you've committed adultery against, you're like, how do we do that? I didn't, I didn't sleep with someone else. That didn't, I didn't do that. No, he's talking about, the prophets are talking about, and Jesus himself is talking about, spiritual, when we've gone after other gods or our attention is put on something else. You say, well, I haven't committed idolatry or adultery. I've kept my eyes focused on Jesus, but the reality is anything that you put in a higher priority over Jesus can seduce you away from the life that God would have for you. It's not just a relationship outside of a marriage that can seem to seduce us. We can be seduced by many different things that would grab our attention outside of God's best for us. And in today's world, with the advertising media and all of the things that want to grab our attention and want us to turn away from God. It's, I would say, in some ways, it's even more difficult with the bombardment of media in our face that say, hey, pay attention to me. Well, let's look at the scriptures. Uh, Proverbs chapter five. Uh, I got a good joke that I should probably tell from um, my brother Alex here this morning. He said um, that, now I'm going to butcher it. Now I'm going to butcher it. He said, uh, you know, if... uh, the Proverbs are positive messages from God, then would we call the negative messages from God the converse? Converbs? Yeah, good. I, I butchered it. Sorry, Alex. Alex made me laugh with that one this morning. Sorry, Alex. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's way we were sharing. Clearly, I butchered it. Proverbs. Proverbs. Chapter 5. 
My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. It's interesting. Again, we see this continually through the book of Proverbs. My son, pay attention to my instruction. It's always good to get information before you're in trouble. This is a father passing on information to the son so that the son doesn't make the mistakes maybe that the father might have foreseen, maybe even committed himself. Myself as a father, I want to tell my son, hey, I might have made these mistakes. You don't have to make the same mistakes that I've made. But better yet, I don't want to make the mistakes either. Verse 3, for the lips of an adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Verse 3 there starts off by telling us that an adulterous woman's lips drip with honey and her speech is smoother than oil. This church, if you're ever in a situation where you're being seduced, it looks enticing. It looks good. I think often we think before we get into situations where we might be seduced, and I'm not just talking about having an affair and an adulterous relationship. I'm talking about any form of a thing that would pull us away from God. It could be some bad habits in our lives, smoking, gambling, um, overspending, overeating. All those things look, anything that can form an addiction at first looks good. And so here in the scripture, it's talking specifically about an adulterous woman, a woman trying to lead a man outside of her marriage. But the reality is all of those things in life that lead us away from um, God look appealing at first. Even in the New Testament, it tells us that Satan appears as an angel of, you guys know this? Light. See, we think about this shadowy figure with horns and a pitchfork and maybe all dressed in red. Bible tells us that when Satan comes along, he appears as an angel of light. He has something seducing about him. The devil's plans at first will look good to you. But in the end, that's what, how verse 4 starts, right? But in the end, she is bitter as gall. See, God's plans for you are long-term. They're about the end. And a lot of the things that lead people away from the Christian faith, lead them away from God, are all short-term. They're struggling here and now. They're, they, they need instant relief. They need something pleasurable now. They need comfort. They need satisfaction now. And unfortunately, the Bible doesn't always promise those things. God doesn't always say, I'm going to soothe you and baby you right now. Actually, the Bible says complete opposite. That, And we're going to see that here in this passage, and it's also alluded to in the New Testament, is that God disciplines those he loves. That sometimes if you're going through a hard time, if you feel a struggle of temptation happening in your life, you can actually know that you're on God's side. 
I've seen it in my Christian walk as a pastor. Sometimes I'm going through hardship and I'm like, why God, why? And you know who reminds me? It's the old saints who've been through it. They say, pastor, if you're under attack, it's probably because you're doing something good. And I'm like, oh, that's good to hear. Thank you for that encouragement. Sometimes if life is too easy and you're always taking the easy route because it looks so appealing, it looks so tempting, and you're always giving into that, in the end, verse 4, in the end, she is bitter as gall. In the end, she is sharp as a double-edged sword, which means it's going to hurt in the end. It's not good for you. In the end, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Now, that could allude to literal death, like people's lives. And earlier, when they take the path of temptation, you can think of so many bad habits that lead to premature death, right? I don't have to name them all. You can think of them. However, I think this passage also is referring to eternal life and eternal death. That when we are seduced away from the Lord, we can lose our salvation. I know that's a controversial view. Some people say once saved, always saved. You say a prayer and you're in the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. And I would say, eh, we can have debates. If, and some people say, well, were they really saved to begin with? Or were they really believing? And I don't want to play that game, church. I'd rather know for sure. The Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is not a game. Your eternal life isn't something, well, I'll just live my life now and I'll give my heart to the Lord later when I'm done, you know, being in the world. You ever have someone say that to you or hear someone say that? It doesn't work that way. The world is enticing and gets its grips on you and Satan is like, a lion seeking whom he may devour. And the more you get into that world, the more that Satan has his grips on you, the harder it is to get out later. So when it comes to time management, you can't say, oh, I'll just get my life straight in order later. I don't think it works that way. Verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to, the, to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Wow, there's a lot to digest there. I think first thing that we uh, can think about is how we need to run from temptation. You think of Joseph in Potiphar's house when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph. What did he do? He ran as fast as he could to get away from that situation. I think of how Jesus taught his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer. And within the Lord's Prayer, we pray and lead us not into temptation. When you feel tempted, you need to run. It is hard, it's not easy. 
Some of us just say, oh, I'll just, I'll just stay around and I'll observe the situation. Maybe I'll just think about this a little longer. No, 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 that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says to run, flee the devil. Submit to God, flee the devil. And, and you know what? Uh, there's a beautiful verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says that God will provide a way of escape. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. That means we've all been through temptation. Everyone will be through temptation, go through temptation. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. So we need to run. We need to turn from that temptation. We have to look for the way of escape. I'm not perfect at this. I need forgiveness like everyone for moments when I've given into temptation. I know I, I often can see when I'm prone to temptation with the attitude towards my children. Parents here can resonate with that one when you're like a little more short with your kids than the other temptations seem to look more appealing, comfort. And I'm like, oh man, that's a good reality check. I'm short with my kids. Everything else, I need to spiritually resist temptation. I need to submit to God. And, and my way of escape is often, I need to pray. And you know what? Uh, there have been times in my life where God specifically has told me to pray for a specific person and that has helped me resist that temptation. It's like, hey, guess what, devil? I'm gonna, I want you to back off. And you know what? If you don't back off me, I'm going to pray that you back off these people and, and I'm going to fight in the spiritual realm for these people. And it's amazing how God comes to my defense when I'm willing to go to the defense of others and how the devil just backs off because he doesn't want to see me praying for all those other people as well. See, that's where verse 12 says... You say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. We need to put our lives in a situation when we see patterns of behavior develop that might be negative to turn it into something God can use where we can develop. What is discipline? It's a pattern of behavior. And so rather than uh, that, that we can use it for good rather than for evil. You can say, hey, I noticed that when I feel this way, I turn to this. And maybe it's a not so good thing. They say, well, maybe when I have that same emotion come up, I turn to prayer. Or I turn to reading my scripture. When I have those same emotions, maybe I turn on some worship. That's one thing that in our house, when the chaos comes into the house, we put on some beautiful worship music and it seems to really change the atmosphere. And at verse 14 is quite interesting as well because it says, and as soon, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. See, what happens is when we give in to temptation, we often think that it's just going to affect us. I've heard people say this. People who, I've seen people who their marriages fall apart and they say, well, I'm just doing it for me but they don't realize the consequences and the devastation it has on an, the entirety of God's assembly. And at first it starts in the family when a family breaks apart. And then we see kids devastated. And then those kids have friends and, and the church family wants to surround that person, but they start have to reject 
and and you always see it. You always see where when a family splits splits apart, one family might one family member might say, "I really need the church," and the other one can't stand. I've I've I can't think of a situation where they both stayed in the same church. It just wouldn't make any sense. One they see it divides the family. Actually, the Bible tells us, in the Old Testament, it says that the divorce is a garment of violence against the family. A garment, so a cloak, like a, a clo- piece of clothing. You're putting on violence. You're putting on something that's going to hurt yourself when you go through divorce. Verse 15 says, Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the street, your streams of water in the public square, let them be yours alone. Never share them with strangers. May your fountains be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. My son, be intoxicated with another man's wife. My son, why be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For, the, for your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For, the, for lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. It's interesting. We just, we just talked about how the, uh, the trouble comes to the entire assembly of God's people. But reality is a lot of people think, oh, if I just do this, nobody will notice. And in verse 21, it says, your ways are in full view of the Lord. That's one reality for you if you're struggling with something that you think you're getting away with in private is to recognize, no, 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 no. God sees all. You're, you're not hiding anything. I think it's easy to deceive ourselves. Think, oh, this won't hurt anyone. I'm just doing it on the side where nobody can see it. When in reality, in the Psalm, Psalm 51, when, when we believe David wrote this Psalm, he says, and he can confesses to God and he repents and he turns back to God. He says, against you alone have I sinned. Well, we know he didn't really sin just against God. He, he sinned against uh, uh, Uriah. He, he, he sinned against um, his people as king. But when he recognized his sin, who did he feel it most towards? It was towards God. When we're hiding our sin, who are we really trying to hide from? We're like Adam and Eve in the garden. It's, it's funny, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They sin against God. They eat the fruit they're told not to eat, and they hide because of the shame that they feel and their nakedness. And God calls out, where are you? Now, here's my question. Do you really think God didn't know where they were? It's a rhetorical question. It's, why are you hiding from me? You don't need to hide from me. You can't hide from me. Church, I'm reminding you of this, of God's omnipresence, that God is everywhere, just as much as I need to remind myself, God is everywhere. He is always with me. He's promised to never leave me nor forsake me. I've thought about this deeply sometimes when I've done things that I'm ashamed of doing. And I remind myself, God is still there. 
God wouldn't want to be around me when I'm like that. And actually, the New Testament talks about this situation with the Holy Spirit where we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I think grieving the Holy Spirit is a very sad thing and a beautiful thing all at once. Here's why. God loves you enough that he will never leave you nor forsake you. You can commit sin and God loves you enough to stick with you despite the fact that you are sinning. And he hates sin. God hates sin and yet he still chooses to be with you. But that doesn't mean he likes it. That doesn't mean he's like, oh, you know, and and, and in today's church culture, you'll hear a lot of positive messages about how much God loves you. And, and, and I want you to know, God does really, really love you. But just like how I love my kids and will always love my kids, there are times I don't like them and I don't like their behavior and I don't like the, what they're doing and they need to be corrected and told they're wrong. And in the same way, God looks at us and he says, I love you, I'm not gonna leave you, I'm not gonna forsake you, but what you're doing is wrong and you need to come back to me. You're grieving me. In other words, you're making me upset. God gets upset. And then we see in this passage, though, the alternative is beautiful. The alternative, and this is where it parallels the Song of Solomon, where there's a beautiful relationship that we can have with the wife of our youth. And what does that mean? Well, of course, it means what it says it means. It means you can get married And you can have a beautiful marriage relationship where you don't need to go outside of your marriage relationship. It talks about waters in the courtyard. What is that talking about? It's saying, hey, listen, people, marriage is to be a private affair that stays in the bedroom between you and your wife. Don't let it spill out to other people, right? And the Bible talks about that in the New Testament as well. It talks about one man for one woman staying together for their lives. That's what we believe as Christians, that it's not meant to be spread outside. That's God's plan. But I also, again, want to say that this also parallels into our relationship with God, that God is an exclusive God, that he does not want to compete with others. And that in the same way that God says, hey, don't go looking for love outside of marriage. Keep that joy that you had when you were first married to the the woman of your youth. In the same way we see in the scripture where it says to return to the God of your youth. Remember those moments when you first gave your heart to the Lord and stick with God. When you are struggling in your faith, when temptation is knocking at the door, when you feel like you're being seduced, go back in your heart and in your mind to the God who first loved you. It's a lot easier to fight temptation, to not be seduced when you remember those moments in your life where you felt most loved by God. Then you'll recognize that this scripture, this word that is passed on to, from we believe Solomon wrote the Proverbs to his son, that he's saying, hey, listen, there's nothing better than when you stick to to the God of your youth. There's nothing better than what you are faithful. Because here's the real message, church. We are not faithful people. When sin entered into the world, we have struggled with being faithful. But God calls us to be faithful. He calls us to flee temptation. 
But the beautiful news is this. This is the most wonderful news you could ever hear. God is faithful. When we left him, when we deserted him, when we have cheated on him, when we continually turn to sin, he is faithful. He's faithful and he's just. And all he asks is that we humble ourselves and confess to God that our need for him and he will forgive us. That's the beauty of all of this. Yes, the writer of Proverbs is saying, hey, my son, don't do these things. Don't leave your wife. When you get married, stick with your wife. Stay in a relationship. Don't have multiple partners. But I also believe the message of the, of the entire Bible is, hey, when we fail, and we will fail, God is so faithful to bring us back in. No matter how many times we've failed, his mercy remains. And he will never give up on us. I think it's appropriate to um, just spend some time in our hearts uh, confessing to the Lord. You know, we're closing the chat, the, the, we're bookending the, the year, right? 2023 is ending, right? 2024 will be beginning. I don't think there's a better way than saying, God, I know I'm not perfect. I know there's things that I've done this year that I'm not proud of. But I'm turning back to you. I'm confessing my sin. I'm asking that you cleanse me, purify me, and would our relationship be strengthened? So we're going to spend some time in silence where I encourage you to pray in your own heart, pray in your own, just like I preached right now and the word said that God sees everything done in secret in the same way he hears your prayers that are silent and, and they don't need to be voiced here in front of everyone. There might be things you're ashamed of that you wouldn't want to voice in front of each other here, but the Lord hears. Stuart, do you mind going back downstairs and asking Amy Beth and the kids to come up for our last song? And we're going to spend time praying. So, Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that as we spend a moment in silence, Lord, would you hear our prayers? Would you hear our confession? Would you draw us back to you? And would you give us the power to resist temptation? confess any actions that we might have done that 
would have offended you. Lord, we confess any words that we might have spoken that you would not have us say. Lord, we even confess the attitudes of our heart and the thoughts that you don't want us to think or feel. And Lord, we pray that you would help us run from those situations that have brought those up. We pray that you would help us avoid temptation, run from any seducing people or spirits. And Lord, I just pray that you would remind us that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you are faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.